The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of The Americans we're discussing before you listen to this podcast. Welcome to the Companion Podcast for FX's The Americans in our third season. I'm Molly Nussbaum. I'm the script coordinator here at the show. In this podcast, we're going to take you behind the scenes of The Americans and give you an inside look at what goes into the making of each episode, from the writing, the research, to the performances, costumes, props, the music, and any other secrets we think you might enjoy that we can stand to part with. Each week, I'll be joined by different members of our cast and crew to talk about the most recent episode and all the elements that go into it. We're recording this podcast today from our sound stages here in Brooklyn, New York, on the day of our season three premiere. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about the writers, the writer's room and the process there, as well as uh, the big arc for season three. And of course, our premiere episode, Est Men. And I'm here today with my bosses, the showrunners and executive producers of The Americans, Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg. Hi, guys. Hey. Identify yourselves. Well, I'm not sure that's going to do any good. No one can tell you apart. Yeah, I'm Joe Weisberg. And I'm Joel Fields, I think. And they're not lying, I promise. I, you guys were just at TCA's last week, and when I was reading all these interviews, it cracked me up that nobody can tell you apart. So, Joe, when you had this show and first brought it to FX, did you set out to find someone who had an irritatingly similar name, or was that just luck? Uh, I didn't set out to find someone, but it has been a problem my whole life when you sort of grow up around a lot of Jews. There are just a lot of Joels around. So the fact is I've often had to identify myself as Joel without the L. And we ubiquitously refer to you guys on the show just as the Jays. The Jays. Carrie Russell was the one who started calling us the Jays, and it has stuck. I would I would take exception to that. I really thought that I had the claim to fame on that one, but I don't want to fight Carrie for it because I'm absolutely certain she could kill me. We've seen her fight. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the classic story of this, too, is that when we were uh, at the TCA's, the Television Critics Association, um, sort of wintertime festival where they interview all the people who do all the TV shows that are coming on the air, uh, and we were interviewed, and I said something along the lines of, you know, we love the KGB, or we think you should root for the KGB, or everybody should stand behind oh, the let KGB. Let me just cut, cut it for a second here. Yeah. I remember specifically what it was you said. You said, <laughs> I think you should root for the KGB. I think you should root for the KGB. That's definitely what I said. <laughs> and, and, and I sort of looked over and Joel had and What did I of, say? I, I didn't just, No, you shouldn't. <laughs> I said, no, I feel differently. And I feel yeah. that this is a show more about the humanity of the characters. and yeah, about humanity, uh, blah, 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 all that. And then the FBI <laughs> and America and right. uh, understanding the enemy and so forth. Right. And then what so happened? So what happened then, a couple of days later, all over the news and every newspaper outlet in America, every website was Joel Fields. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm Joe Weisberg. This is basically the problem. We can't tell this story. Anyway, Joel Fields was quoted everywhere saying you should root for the KGB and basically being attacked and vilified. Which, just for the record, I did not say that. But you think it now. I think you've come around. I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> if anybody's really wondering, and Molly, I think you can you can check me on this. There is a way to tell us apart. I'm the one dancing in place, jogging in place, running around the office. I freely admit yes, it. Yes, Joel is not a spokesperson for Fitbit, but he would like to be. So. I love my Fitbit. Joel has a Fitbit. <laughs> Joel has a Fitbit. He never stops walking. He never stops moving. I get the equal amount of exercise because, as he said, we're always together. All joking aside, if this podcast is about insight into our process, walking is a big part of our process. Joe and I walk a lot. And anytime we're stuck on a scene, you know, because you're sitting there in the room with us when we're writing, if we're, if we're stuck... 
we'll just look at each other and say, let's walk on it. And Joe and I'll go and take a walk. And I think the the shortest walk may have been about a quarter of a block. We put on our coats, got ha- got a quarter of a block, solved the problem, turned around and came back and finished the scene. Uh, but sometimes it takes a few blocks. Yeah, it usually takes much longer. It usually takes, yeah. you know, a mile or so. But that was a good one. We, we actually got to the corner where our office is. We solved the problem. So we turned around and came back. Um, thank you for bringing us back on track, Joel, and uh, doing my job. So, uh, yeah, we're coming to you guys here today from scenic Gowanus, Brooklyn, where we have our sound stages and our offices. We're a unique show, in at least in New York, where everybody is in the same place. We have our writer's office, our production office, even our post-production facilities and our sound stages all in the same neck of the woods. So uh, we're in a big warehouse district with a bunch of active uh, warehouses. And right now we're on uh, stage five, which is our residentura set, our our Russian world. And and people talk about this a lot, but it is funny on our show. It does sometimes feel like two different shows and that there's the American, you know, the FBI and the American side, and then there's the Russian side. And they're even on different sides of the canal. So to get to one is not very easy. So we're, we're on the far side today in, in Siberia, if you will. It sounds so cool. We're on the soundstage. If you saw where we are, you'd be like, Ugh. Shh, Joe, stop. The emperor <laughs> has to wear some clothes yeah. here. Hollywood is not as glamorous <laughs> as you'd imagine. And we're not even in Hollywood. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about our office. We have a staff of you guys who are running the, running the show. And we have uh, seven writers this year, six writers. Six more. Six and more. Us makes eight. So uh, we've got the whole gang. We've got a couple people from last season, uh, some playwrights, some long-term TV people. What's it like when you guys open the room, day one, everybody's coming in, the boards are blank, dauntingly empty? The, the truth is, though, empty whiteboards weren't as daunting this season because Joe and I had a pretty clear plan going in. We had spent a lot of time at the end of season two walking and talking through what we wanted to do season three. And we had been not only talking, but making notes and passing a document back and forth between ourselves, meeting either in Brooklyn or in the city. And in fact, there came a point during the summer where we just declared pencils down and took a few weeks where we stopped writing. And then we came back before the writer's room opened and spent a a few weeks working further on that document. So really, the beginning of the season to us was downloading to the writers where we thought we wanted to go this season and then road testing it with them and soliciting pitches and trying to make it better. But we really jumped in midstream this season in a way we hadn't the prior two seasons. But it's interesting, then you take a bunch of ideas that two people have worked on and you set eight people loose on them Mm -hmm. and start finding out, you know, you have all kinds of things that we might have thought made a lot of sense. And they're like, well, that makes no sense or that's really good, but that's ridiculous. Yeah, they're good for that. And uh, (laughs) the way every writer's room is different, obviously, but um, the boards in our writer's room, it almost looks like a grid. We have the episodes across the top. Uh, and then along the sides, sort of the I don't know y axis, I guess you have each element of the show. We have the spy story. We have Stan and Sandra. We have Matthew and Sandra. Um, we have Gabriel, our, our new handler this season. Um, when you start with the big idea, you know, for the whole season, at what point do you guys all stop talking and you know pushing and pulling with the writers and start saying, okay? this point of the story happens in this episode. And I know that that's fluid for a long time, but when do you start reining things in from, you know, the big concepts to, okay, this is what we open with? Well, I don't know if he knows this, but I very carefully track Joel's panic. And there's a point at which he starts sort of actually shaking a little bit, and that means that it's time to start writing the first episode. And that's when you just stop and you have to to get to work. You have to stop talking. It's like catching a wave. (laughs) In fact, we have to end the podcast right now. (laughs) 
we've got episode 12 and 13 to deal with. That's no joke. He said that, he said that before we started the podcast. Joel said, I'm not sure we have time for the podcast. But, but in answer to your question, I, I think that is it is kind of something that we feel. And the one thing we don't do, I think, is decide early on or really at any point what's going to happen in what episode. And this season, what happened with that big document we created is it had storylines for each of our characters, some extending seasons into the future. And the process this year, to our surprise, really became about looking at that document when we broke the episodes and saying, wow, this happens next, this happens next, and letting the story tell us what would fill out the episode rather than wondering what would be a good episode and building building it from the inside out that way. But, you know, this issue of not getting behind on your scripts is really so fundamental to doing a season of television. It's really important to be panicked at all times, you I would say. Yeah. You have to be panicked. I try to sometimes to give you my panic. Yeah, you've actually specifically asked me before if I could be stressed for you. Yeah. And I... I don't mean to brag. I think I do a great job. Yeah, I'm very grateful. Is that your most that. fun part of the job? Being stressed for Joe? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. What now, so what's been the most surprising part of the show for you? I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's so fun to watch all of our writers who are each so different and have different strengths and different voices work towards, you know, supporting your vision, the, your vision for the show, Joe, and, and the, the sort of world that you guys come in with. And Stu Zickerman, who wrote episode three this year, which has, you know, no spoilers, a lot of action and, and big sequences like that, whereas um, Josh Brand or Stephen Schiff write very talky character, you know, more, more about sinking into one character episode. So it's been fun for me to just see everyone play to their strengths and then play as a team and see how that all comes together. Can you say what your job is? Oh, my job, besides being stressed for you? <laughs> uh, I think the easiest way to describe being a script coordinator is keeping everybody literally and figuratively on the same page in that I literally put out the script pages from the time that you guys have the idea in the room to the outline to the early drafts. I'm proofreading those but and tracking all the notes and changes and sending them to the right people at the right time. And then once we get into production, we're still rewriting um, and we have a whole color scheme of how we put out revisions and our scripts end up looking like Easter eggs and things like that. But it's also my job to say to all of our department heads and producers, we're no longer using a gun, we're using a machete and things like that and making sure that changes like that are communicated to all the right people at the right moment. But then within the writer's room um, and working for you guys in particular, I'm sort of the institutional memory of the show a little bit and we can't do that. We killed that guy already so he can't be in the scene or, you know, this is what's happening within the actual timeline of our show. That part is fun, but also really challenging because it's a period piece that happens over several <laughs> countries and in two languages, so. I don't mean to make you, by the way, do the whole podcast, but will you also explain about the sad step? I, I, I don't know if I want to explain about that. I so I, 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 will, I will admit, I spend a lot of my job, I would say 80% of my job, chasing the two of you around, <laughs> trying to get you to do things. <laughs> Again, we are your Fitbit. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, have literally run out the door of the office. Joe's going, nope, I'm going home. I'm going home. And I'm like, okay, okay. And I've walked four blocks with Joe, just rattling <laughs> things cold. off. It, yeah, with no coat no or whatever. No shoes on. No shoes, never. <laughs> and uh, walk back to the office afterwards. Um, but there is a step outside of your guy's office right in front of um, Joel's assistant's desk that I sit on when I'm feeling really desperate and I just camp out on the step and so all the writers have named it the sad step because when I'm getting really desperate from chasing you guys around I park myself on the step and sit out there but now that you guys are aware of the steps nickname 
you come out there and see me on the sad step and are like, oh, no, <laughs> what do we have to do? So it's actually the sad step has really worked in my favor this year. Um, let's forcefully drag this subject back to the the episode at hand, our season premiere, episode one, Est Men, which you two wrote together and was directed by the great Dan Sackheim, who's our directing producer, which uh, means that Dan directs several episodes for us and also advises on um, the look and feel of the show with all of our guest directors. So talking about coming into the season, having a very clear idea of what you wanted to do and all of that, uh, what was it like to sit down and just start writing the episode? Did you have one scene in particular that you were so excited to write? Or when you sat down, you know, when Joel was vibrating at this point because it was time to start writing, <laughs> was it was it an easy process to jump in? Uh, sometimes that bl- blank page, especially on the monitor, it's like, oh, God. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great moment to talk about this because today the premiere is on tonight and we've been reading a lot of reviews that have been coming in. And one thing that's really struck me is how much people appreciate the opening sequence in the teaser, which we labored over. Oh, boy. I remember. Oh, boy, did we see you. Remember, yeah, you're yeah, in the Molly, room. You, you're it's in the room. Like, you know, well. you can talk about it better than anyone because you're sitting the, there it, typing as we talk. I am. The, you talk the episodes to me and I type them. Uh, well, th- this one I'm actually a little more curious about because, you know, you start. this was the first episode and I actually was um, – were cheating on you guys with another show at the time. Uh, so I don't think I was there. But I oh. even when I came back and you were already several drafts in, uh, and I love the teaser. I absolutely love that sequence, um, the the motorcycle sequence, which was originally a bus. That's um, right. It was a it was, bus. It was and a bus originally. That's right. I remember. First it was, first it was, it was a, a van. Car. First it was, it was a, a car. Bus. Then it was a van. Then it was yeah. a bus. Then it was a motorcycle. And yeah. I remember when we, the motorcycle change didn't come super late in the game, but several drafts in, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. And I was really excited yeah. about that. Well, even before. Well, first it, was, that, well, it was, first it was a, first it was just a stairway. That's with, right. Uh, first it was a stairway in a garbage area outside of a brownstone that they toppled over the banister into this garbage area and had a fight in all the garbage at the brownstone. And there was no meeting in a bar, right? She was having a, she was going to pass by somebody in a car and it was going to look suspicious. I mean, there were a lot of iterations to, to, to get it to where there. it was yeah. now. And, and a lot of times, by the way, you go through that whole process and the, you sort of like the end product or, you know, whatever. But this is one where it really feels like it came out right. And to have that for the teaser of your premiere and then have people like it, that's a good feeling. It is. It is. It's also, there's something, as you were saying, about doing this podcast on premiere day that you can't help but sit around and think of how we were taking those walks and then we sat down and we were writing the story and then you have that day when you sit down and start doing the scene work and then through production and editing and suddenly here you are and there's a finished product and although on some level we watch it and still see all the things we might have done differently or all the refinements we wish we could make, on the other hand, it's out there in the world and we're now moving forward really today working on the finale in our heads. By the way, you know who came into that scene late was Agent Gad. That was a very late addition to that whole scene. And now you watch it and that's such a big part of what makes that thing fun. Well, what's exciting about that too is we talked about sort of how this show sometimes is very segmented with the worlds are very different. And here is such a worlds collide quite literally moment where you turn around and I feel like the audience, or at least for me, when I first even read that was like, oh man, <laughs> Gad's here, this is great. Well, well, there's and there's another thing in that teaser that is feels now absolutely essential and yet was a late addition, which is the flashback. Starting the season on those family photos and Elizabeth in the bathtub and then going to the flashback of her teaching Paige how to swim in her uniquely Soviet mothering way. That was a late addition too. And boy, I can't imagine this 
season story without, without that. The, you now. know, we were at the mix today. The mix is where you go when you watch, you're almost done with your episode and you work on all the sound and how it's all going to come together. We were at the mix for episode four. And all of us were suddenly talking about this scene in the bathroom and how great it was. This is the first season we've had a bathroom in the Jennings bedroom. We didn't have, it was not built that, before. That's right. So and we built. We have, a, we have a new set basically this year. Um, we've sort of referred to it, but this is the first year we see the master bathroom off of the Jennings bedroom. And we wound up writing to it mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. And there's something we about. We built it for that scene. That's right. But now in a marriage, the master bathroom is actually an important place. And we've been able to play a lot of those scenes there. It's been great. Yeah. Without hopefully giving anything away, again, with that flashback scene uh, where there's this wonderful shot from above where uh, Elizabeth goes under the water and is looking straight up, we have a fantastic callback to that in a later episode that I think people are going to be very, very excited about. Episode six. You heard it here first. It echoes beautifully. (laughs) And I I watched the cut of six recently, and I remember thinking, ooh, very sneaky. I like that. (laughs) A lot of times that stuff is unconscious, but that one was conscious. That one felt a little (laughs) conscious, I'll I'll be honest. Conscious in a good way. (laughs) Um, Another thing that I love about this episode, you know, I think what's hard about a – a first episode of a season is you need to pick up a lot of the threads from last season, but you also have new things to introduce. And this season, in addition to bringing back characters like Pastor Tim and Annalise and Yusuf, you're introducing new characters like Agent Adderholt and, uh, of course, Gabriel, um, the great Frank Langella. How do you approach, from a writing perspective, introducing new characters in a way that feels organic and of the world versus reminding people, hey, remember these people from last year without it feeling too much like, you know, a a big recap? I I think the thing we struggle most with is trying to tell the story and have those moments in a way that is comprehensible to the audience and, and allows them to follow and yet feels to us as it would happen in the real world of our stories that we imagine. So we try not to telegraph any of that stuff and hope that the audience will just catch up. That if there's a new character, that they'll know that it's a new character because that character's there. And if there's backstory, that it'll seep through without stopping and explaining it. And I don't know, how do you think we do, Molly? I think we're doing great, boss. <laughs> <laughs> just that just that phrase you say, a big recap, sends chills through my body. <laughs> I, mean, I, can, I can barely stand having actual recaps in front of the episodes. I'm always like, hey, why don't we not do recaps? And <laughs> nobody will go along. But I like, I hate recaps. What if the episode felt like a big recap? Oh, right. boy, that would suck. <laughs> a big recap. Uh, there, there are some great callbacks, I think, in the first episode that, like you said, Joel, are not huge, or to borrow from you, Joe, not huge recaps, but I think pick up on certain threads that people will be excited about. I know when we had our table read for the first episode, where we get, you know, the whole cast together, all the writers, the producers, people in the room were so excited about that scene with Martha and Stan at the gun range. People were just like, yes, Martha's got a gun. And I think that's something that people will respond to well. But I thought that was a great moment of Martha is armed and now slightly dangerous. Well, we, we, we basically have a season's worth of jokes going in the writer's room about Chekhov's gun, you know, yeah. because basically we just so haven't had it go off yet. <laughs> but that's just going to make the explosion louder if eventually it does. We like well, to the, say yeah, there's a big if in there. We like to say when your fake wife gets a real gun, it's always a little unsettling. Words to live by. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the great challenges about this show from a writing perspective is it's taking place, obviously, within the historical context of the 80s. It is 
Very frightening that the Can 80s is now a period piece. Yeah, don't call it Wasn't historical that crazy? context. Yeah. Well, uh, Joe, we, like to think of it, recent we like to think of it as our high school years. Yeah. But isn't that just, I think it's so weird now that people are like, you work on a period College. piece. And I'm like, really? The 80s is a period piece now? But um, uh, you guys both always tease me because. You weren't born yet? I, yeah, well, yeah. I was going to. Reagan was still president when I was born, but he was. Okay. Barely. Um, but so for me, I, it involves a lot of research. Whereas, Joe, you've said for you, it is just memory. Um but can you talk a little bit about the research process that we have on the show? And obviously, I can chime in with how, how I come into it as well. But for example, we obviously have a, a big historical piece in our first episode. How sure were you guys that you wanted to use that in our episode th- with the death of Brezhnev? 100% sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I ask because sometimes, sometimes well, I, I think what is maybe not clear is that sometimes you guys have things like the death of Brezhnev that you're 100% sure you want to use in an episode. And sometimes it's things like, okay, we know that this episode falls in, you know, December of 82. What are some period things that would enrich this scene or would be a good prop to include? Or we talk about how we use television on the show. If a character's Mm -hmm. watching television, we'll just write that they're watching a television show unless it's something very, very specific. And then you, Molly, come to us and say, well, this is taking place on this night of the week at this time. And uh, we'll we'll pull up the TV guide and see what was on. Uh, well, we're very fastidious about it. I mean, you know, you, you keep this chart on the wall of every night of the week and we match every date of the show to every day that's taking place on the show to a date on that calendar. Next to our production calendars, we have huge 1983 wall calendars and we have one that kind of looks like a Carrie Matheson board you know with things coming out every direction of this is what happened this day Drew Barrymore hosted Saturday Night Live you know Cal did the the play you know against Stanford and all these things and then uh, we plot where our episodes fall on that calendar so that we can be aware of what we what people would have been talking about what would have been on TV things like that and occasionally you guys come in and say we know that there's this historical event Let's make sure the episode falls on the that date. And we have, without giving a spoiler, I think, we, we bookend the season with two very important date-specific things that I know. So you guys came into the season, right, feeling that you wanted to go from that point to that point? Yes. Well, the Brezhnev thing, look, was that it was obviously a very important thing for the lives of our characters and the whole historical context of this show. So that's why that was going to land so heavily there. But the thing that's always interesting to me is that we we stick so carefully to that calendar. You know, when you're trying to make things work and something's on a, in, the, your show falls on Tuesday night and then there's some kind of problem for us in scheduling the show that we really have a great clip of a TV show that we want to put on in that scene, but it was on a Wednesday night and we just won't use it. We don't do it. We're just uncompromising even though nobody but the three of us in that room looking at the calendar would ever realize it. And I often ask myself why we're so fastidious about it. And I don't really know the answer. We're just fastidious, fastidious people. (laughs) But sometimes this works for us. For example, when we used that great Fantasy Island clip, and who would have remembered? Yeah, that's going to be the third episode. Yeah, and who would have remembered that Fantasy Island was actually a ten o'clock show? It seems so counterintuitive, and we needed something that would be on at about a quarter to eleven. And uh, we not only used Fantasy Island, but we made sure we used that part of the show that was on at the end. Yeah, there is a great attention from our post-production team in particular of what time exactly is Paige watching TV? Is it 1024? And we can sort of calculate the clip. And and that is, aside from the big historical events, I think one of the things people really love about the show is the small period details, not just the costumes and the music, of course, 
but the ice cream that Gabriel is eating. Who's, who's, I, I think it was Joe's idea to have the ice cream that I can't pronounce. Fruge- Fruge- was it Fruge- 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 I don't remember Fruge- whether it was you or me no on that idea. one. <laughs> but we both remember we were both eating that ice oh, cream yeah. for the couple of years that it, <laughs> that it existed. <laughs> yeah, here's one coming up that I'm really excited about is I hope we're going to be able to do this standby, folks. Uh, the handheld electronic football game. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're obsessed boy. with that. Yeah. That was such a such a thing with the sound with the, the little tiny beeps the little and tiny the dots it seemed like the coolest thing in the world back then it and did now. the little flashing red LED thing <sighs> that was supposed to be the football player yeah that was great on the green field oh. to me also by the way I didn't have one like my friends had my it friends had one had too had, I didn't have like one my, either I just couldn't is I it possible that that's the entire reason we started our individual careers was so that one day we could come together <laughs> and play again with Out that of our sadness that we couldn't have it yeah Great, guys. That's not at all depressing. I'm so glad for you. <laughs> Let's go sit on the sad step. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have, I mean, it's been photographed a few times uh, when you guys have been interviewed, but we have this red wall in the office when people, right when people come in, where we have the years uh, that the show falls, season two to the end of season three. So it goes about mid-1982 to mid-1983. And we have all these historical events up on the wall, like newspaper headline style, but also pop culture events. I think sometimes we put stuff up there because it's stuff we're going to use in the show and we want to remind ourselves. But other times it's stuff that we've just found that we put up there. And I think the the hope anyway is that occasionally you guys will pass by or the writers will be looking at it and thinking, oh, my God, we should totally incorporate the Super Bowl from that year. Or we've got to get, you know, Tron, the original movie, work that in somehow. Well, I think that's right. There, there was the hope with that red board was that it would generate specific ideas, but also that with the writer's walking past it every day and with anybody who comes to the office involved in the production walking past it, they would just ingest consciously or unconsciously that that year that we're playing in. And that's it for our first podcast here at a behind-the-scenes look of Season 3 of The Americans. Join us next week when we discuss Episode 2, Baggage, written by the bosses, Joe Weisberg and Joel Fields, directed by the great Dan Sackheim. We'll have uh, other members of our production team here to talk about some very, very interesting stunts that we had done for that episode. I'm Molly Newsbaum. I'm here with Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg. Thanks for joining us. I'll be on the sad step until next week. <laughs>